Well, hello, friends. I want to welcome you to this Monday's session of Deep Dive as we uh, continue to study and take a look at things that we've been walking through. I uh, apologize for being just a few minutes late here. Um, had a few, we got a, a great new like studio kind of space that we've uh, put together. I'm super grateful for uh, our worship director, Levi, and Danny Straub helping to kind of put this together. I was hoping to be there with you this morning. That's part of why I was slightly delayed. Had a couple of little glitches on my end, and so I feel bad, but uh, I'm sure by even Wednesday with Pastor Steve, you'll see a little a little view of the, the new studio room that we've been working on for just an improved um, time with each other, just a visually improved time. I know you enjoy hanging out with me in my office, but uh, we'll, we'll get there soon. want to get there soon. want to get there right. So, um, But this morning, I want to kind of land in, uh, we've been walking through the opening judgments of God in Revelation. And um, um, I want to take a look at the last part of Revelation 6, uh, verse 17. And an incredible question is asked by individuals who have um, experienced what the Bible calls the day of the Lord. And in verse 17, there's this incredible question that is offered. And it says, who is able to stand on the great day of this lamb's wrath? Uh, and I thought about that question, like who is able to stand? It's, it's an incredible thing. I, I was looking up for the fun of it um, online, just the whole idea of standing and, and, and came across a couple of different really fascinating things. Um, there was a competition, this was a several years ago in China, where individuals were um, given this competition to potentially win a BMW, brand new BMW, and in order to win it, they had to keep one hand on the car and stand on one leg for as long as possible, and their heel also had to stay off of the ground. So basically one-legged on, on their tippy toes, on the balls of their feet, and uh, the gentleman who finally won stood in that position for over seven hours. In fact, it was almost eight hours. Can you imagine that? Um, and, and to see the imagery as I was reading the story, I mean, people were collapsing in exhaustion. I mean, they were just overwhelmed. And, and that was all standing on one foot for basically eight hours. I wonder how you would do in that situation. Um, as I looked online, the, the, the world record for an individual standing uh, on uh, same thing on one foot for as long as possible was uh, just over three days. I mean, can you imagine that? Like standing in one place for over three days on one foot, that would just be incredible. So it makes us think about like what it is that we are capable of. Um, and at the same time, our limitations. Even when our motivations are to win a brand new BMW, uh, we can only stand for so long. Um, and as I thought about the, the reality of the day of the Lord and the coming of the Lamb who is worthy. You see the way that Jesus just has this ability of knocking people off, off of their feet, essentially. Uh, whether it was at his birth um, and the, the wise men who came and brought gifts, humbly bowing before this innocent baby, knocking them off of their feet. Or it was Jesus' own executioners who saw the things that were transpiring upon his death. And even the executioners cried out, surely this is the Son of God. J Jesus is one who just brings a reckoning with all of us. Jesus himself is one who just demands a response. 
And it makes us realize that when it comes to Jesus, there's just no room for any gray whatsoever. It's almost as if to say with Jesus, it's, it's all or nothing. Uh, there's nothing in the in-between. And that's certainly the image that is presented to us in Revelation as we now begin to consider these judgments and certainly this incredible, catastrophic, cosmic day that will unleash the full fury of God's judgment that there is no one who will be able to stand. And in order to stand, in order to be able to do that, we have to clearly trust in something other than what we have or clearly something other than what we can accomplish. Verse 15, again in Revelation 6, reminds us that there weren't kings, there weren't commanders, there weren't wealthy, there weren't free, there weren't slave. There was nobody. didn't matter your classification, your grouping, where you came from, your background, your family of origin, uh, the degrees and the titles and the amount of money in your bank account. It's as if this day of the Lord just completely wipes all of that clean in terms of just leveling it all and putting everybody on the same kind of status because there is a total reckoning that comes with Jesus. You're either with him or you're against him. And that is an important and humbling and challenging reality for a lot of us to consider. So I think the question that I want to leave us with this morning this simple thought related to Revelation 6 and this grand question of who can stand is how do we stand? Well, in order to answer that question, we have to look at the Lamb. And why? Because the Lamb is the one who brings reckoning. It is the Lamb, Jesus, who com really compels all of us to respond, meaning we're either for him or against him. And so the very one who is coming in judgment is also the very one who came to us proving his tender mercies. And this is what we, we refer to as his first coming or the incarnation. And you see, friends, Jesus is the roaring lamb. We use that term a lot with our Revelation series because Jesus is holy. And he has come to us full of grace and truth. His grace was extended to us, and we saw this, and we continue to see it throughout the Gospels. His grace was extended to us in the way in which Jesus lovingly atoned for our sins, meaning he died on the cross for us. He became a perfect sacrifice representing you, representing me, which leads to the forgiveness of sins where God looks upon us in all of our sin, fully a full disclosure of everything that we are, everything we've done, everything we think, everything we say, and all of that is laid bare before him, but because of Jesus, God forgives us. Friends, not because of what we have done, but again, because of the gracious revealing of Jesus who died on our behalf. He atoned for our sins, which leads us into a new life anchored in his resurrection, that he overcame death. Death, which is the perfect and final uh, verification of our sin. And not even sin and death has mastery over God. He overcame. Now, that Jesus is truth means that this requires us to recognize him for who he truly is. And as a result, this leads to righteous judgment over sin that separates us from all things from him. So how can we stand? Let me, let me give you three quick things to think about. How can we stand in Jesus, stand with Jesus? Number one, we stand by confessing our sins, friends. We stand by 
confessing our sins. And this is very important. Matthew 5, 3, many of us are familiar with Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. We refer to them as the Beatitudes. The very first thing Jesus says is, blessed are the poor in spirit. He's not talking about financial dynamics, a, a kind of poverty by which we just have so little within the world around us that we're desperate. No, the, the poor in spirit is a reflection of our, our heart's attitude in which we are fully aware that no matter what we have, no matter how many clothes are in our closet, how many cars are in our garage, how much money's in the bank account, how much success we've accomplished at work or through our schooling, that we are fully aware that none of those things can ever measure up to a standard or status by which we are equal with God. And when we come to realize that no matter who we are or what we do, we cannot say, I am the same as God, that humbling leads to a confession by which we are poor in spirit, meaning our heart realizes that there is nothing in me that would ever be able to allow me to stand before God and say, God, you should accept me because of who I am. No, you accept me, God, because of who Christ is, because of what Jesus has done. So blessed are the poor in spirit. Jesus says theirs is the kingdom of heaven. 1 John 1, 9 says that if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just. He will forgive us of our sins. He will, he will lead us into righteousness. This is how we, we begin to stand with Jesus. Because again, remember that, remember that piercing, honest, painful question by those who experience the judgment of God on the, the day of the Lord, right? Who can stand? Well, this is who can stand, one who confesses their sins. They recognize that they are desperately in need of Jesus. Second, we can stand by confessing Jesus as Lord. So it's not just enough that we confess we're not worthy, that we're not good enough, that there's nothing in us that can't kind of save ourselves. I think a lot of us have a recognition of the fact that we're not perfect creatures. In fact, I would say almost everybody has some measure of humility that suggests, I've got problems, <laughs> I've got issues, i got to work things out, right? Um, a lot of people recognize that there's a confession of sin and brokenness, though, that leads to a fruitfulness, which is recognizing who alone can save, right? Who's the one that fills in that gap in our life that we know is eternally there? And it's confessing that Jesus is Lord. Not that Jesus is a great guy. Not that Jesus is a prophet. Not that Jesus was a great teacher. Not just that Jesus is an example we should all look to, but that Jesus is Lord. And that we surrender our lives to him. We, we have an allegiance now, a confession, uh, and a conviction in him. And so what that leads to is a surrendering of ourselves. It's a confession of our pride that it's not about us, it's about him. And it leads to Jesus as it's all for him. So the Bible says things like this. Romans 10, 9 and 10 says, If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord, and you believe in your heart that, this is very important, God raised him from the dead, then you will be saved. For with a heart a person believes resulting in righteousness, and with a mouth he confesses resulting in salvation. So, who can stand? One who confesses their sins. Who can stand? One that confesses Jesus as Lord. And lastly, who can stand? I'll leave you with this. We stand by confessing his faithfulness, remembering who he is. 
1 Thessalonians chapter 5, in that letter, the Apostle Paul actually spends a great deal of time talking about this idea that Jesus is going to return, that we are going to be with him. Themes that are similar to the study we're going through in Revelation. And in 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 23, the Apostle Paul writes this, Now, may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, which means setting you apart, putting you in a completely different, distinct position, a position that's really categorized by Christ in you, so that you will be sanctified completely, and that your whole spirit and soul and body will be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. So we stand by confessing his faithfulness. So practically, friends, what does all of this mean? It means that when we take a stand for Jesus, and I think this is relevant, especially within the culture in which we live in today, a lot of people, and I can be guilty of this, I'm sure you can be guilty of this, a lot of times as Christians we say, I'm going to take a stand for Jesus. And, and we, we equate taking a stand for Jesus with um, arguing for and defending for um, moral virtues within our culture. And we, we kind of cry out and we argue against the patterns and the beliefs and the temperaments and the policies by which our country and even in our world we are living in. And, and it's not that that's wrong. As Christians, we are compelled by virtue of the gospel to speak truth and the truth has implications into the ways in which we live our lives. So I'm not saying any of that is wrong. What I am saying, friends, is that when we take a stand for Jesus, because remember, who can stand? Those who confess their sins, confess Jesus as Lord, confess his faithfulness, and as a result, taking a stand for Jesus begins with um, preaching Christ and Christ crucified. It begins with sharing the gospel, friends. Uh, a British theologian, a man by the name of Leslie Newbegin, uh, would argue that taking a stand for Jesus is a public truth, meaning it is something that the world needs to hear and know. And, and I think sometimes as a church we forget that. That we, 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 we assume that taking a stand for Jesus means like, kind of arguing these sort of horizontal issues, which are relevant, you know, the things that interact between people and the way people live lives. But all of that is almost wasted energy if we're not getting this first, if we're not getting this done right first, which is an understanding of the gospel and how it's Christ crucified, that he was buried and that he rose again. And these are the things that transform and change life. So friends, let's take a stand for Jesus. Let's be confident that we stand with Jesus through the confession of our sins, the profession that Jesus is Lord, that he is faithful and uh, will lead us through. But then let's take a stand for Jesus by continuing to practice and preach the gospel at all times, in all places, to all people. Hey, God bless you, friends. Thanks for being with me. Uh, thanks for staying with me. It's great to have you here today. And uh, uh, continue to keep an eye out. Wednesday at 10 o'clock, Pastor Steve will be with us for another session together. And like I said, hope we can be kind of in our new studio space very soon. Hey, take care. We'll see y'all later.